today's reading is Nehemiah 13. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib, the priest, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles, and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priests. But while this, all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon I, I had returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here, I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shalemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah their assistant because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. In those days, I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys, together with wine, grapes, figs, and all other kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day, People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this wicked thing you are doing, desecrating on the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and this city? Now you are stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? 
If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this, remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdod, or the language of one of the other peoples, and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, You are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that King Solomon of Israel sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Joyada, son of Eliashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat, the Horonite, and I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties, each to his own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated time and for the first fruits. Remember me with favour, my God. I'll do keep that passage open. How quickly things can change. At 6.34am, Brenda and Danny Harvey were happily tucked up in bed. They were woken by their little boy. By 6.35am, the house took the full force of a tornado. The entire house was destroyed. All four members of the Harvey family survived, but the house was destroyed. It all happened so quickly. The same could be said of car crashes. All it takes is one person to lose concentration and there can be a pile-up on the motorway. Things change very quickly in 5th century BC Jerusalem. Nehemiah has done a brilliant job. He's rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem the spiritual life of the city has been transformed under his governorship. But then, after 12 years, he returns to Susa, where the emperor was based. And in Nehemiah's absence, everything goes horribly wrong. Nehemiah can rebuild the city walls, but only the Holy Spirit can transform hearts. Only a work of God's grace can change us on the inside. We've seen something of this in church life. 
people can stop coming to church and go cold spiritually very quickly. We need to meet together and with other Christians if we're to stay healthy spiritually. As the writer to the Hebrews puts it, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.25 We need to be together around God's word. We need to be experiencing daily the work of God's spirit as we pray, as we read God's word. We need God to be changing us on the inside. Otherwise, just like the people in Nehemiah's day, we will simply fall back into an ungodly life. And the change can happen very quickly. If you've been here for this series, you'll know that Nehemiah was highly distressed that the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins and Jerusalem generally was falling down. So Nehemiah gets permission from the emperor to go to Jerusalem to act as governor and to restore the walls of the city, the worship of God in the temple and to restore the city generally. Along the way, we've seen highs and lows in the life of Jerusalem. Last week, Sam showed you the great celebration that took place when the walls of the city were dedicated to God. But now today, things have rapidly declined. And once again, Nehemiah has to lead the people in spiritual revival. Three headings. Marriage had gone wrong. The temple had gone wrong. And the Sabbath had gone wrong. Firstly then, marriage had gone wrong. C.S. Lewis wrote the following. You can get a large audience together for a striptease act. That is, to watch a girl undress on the stage. Now suppose you went to a country where you could fill a theatre simply by bringing a covered plate onto the stage and then slowly lifting the cover so that everyone could see just before the lights went out that it contained a lamb chop or a bit of bacon. Would you not think that something had gone wrong in that country and their appetite for food? Something has gone wrong in our society, in our attitude to marriage and relationships. Something had gone wrong in 5th century BC Jerusalem, verse 1. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted to the assembly of God. Why were some ethnic groups excluded from the worship of God? Well, verse 2, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. 
This is the story of Numbers 22, when the king of Moab employed Balaam the seer to invoke God's curse on the Israelites. But instead of this, God sends an angel to stand in the way of Balaam and his donkey. And God uses the donkey to speak to Balaam. And Balaam learns that he can't just invoke God's curse for a fee. He can only say what God puts in his mouth, which in this case is blessing, not cursing. There are a number of lessons from this. Firstly, that if God can speak through a donkey, then that puts preachers like me in our place. But more importantly, we preachers can only say what God says in his word. We can only say what God puts in our mouths. Back in Nehemiah's day, in chapter 13, verse 3, the people exclude from Israel all who were of foreign descent. This was not because God is racist. When there were foreigners who genuinely wanted to follow God, they were welcomed into God's family. But when there were foreigners who influenced Israel away from following the true God, they had to be excluded. Moreover, look down to verse 23. Nehemiah sees how the men of Judah, the Israelites, God's men, had married pagan women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. In verse 28, even the high priest had married an enemy of God's people. The problem with this was that these marriages influenced God's people away from serving the true God, verse 24. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other people and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. This was a problem because the children of these marriages would not be able to understand God's word, which was written in Hebrew. Therefore, Nehemiah says, I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. This seems to us a very extreme reaction. But rather like when Jesus gets angry and cleanses the temple, this is righteous anger on the part of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is the magistrate. He has the right to punish judicially. Verse 25b, I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Then Nehemiah gives the example of Solomon, whom Nehemiah says was loved by his God and was a great king, but was led into sin 
by foreign wives who led Solomon in the worship of false gods. As we've already seen in this series in Nehemiah, there's an obvious application of this to the New Testament. As the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 7.39 of a widow, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. We should really pray for our brothers and sisters who are married to unbelievers, because the non-Christian partner won't necessarily have the same priorities as the Christian partner. And this can be very difficult. So there's the first issue in this chapter. Marriage had gone wrong. Secondly, the temple had gone wrong, verse 4. Before this, before Nehemiah came and challenged the people about their attitude to foreigners, verse 4, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah. Remember Tobiah? Tobiah is the Ammonite official who is resolutely opposed to Nehemiah and to Nehemiah's God. And as soon as Nehemiah goes away, Tobiah is provided with a large room in the temple complex. Tobiah is given a room or rooms formerly used to store the grain offerings and the incense and the temple articles and also the tithes of grain and wine and olive oil intended for the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers of the temple and for the priests. This means that the proper functioning of the temple couldn't happen. Nehemiah says, verse 8, I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God and the grain offerings and the incense. Nehemiah fearlessly restores the proper functioning of the temple. He also learned in verse 10 that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. The Levites were the priestly tribe and because they'd not been receiving their support from the temple giving, all the Levites and musicians had left Jerusalem and gone back to their own fields to grow their own food. Again, Nehemiah rebukes the temple officials and reinstates the Levites and the musicians. He also reinstates the tithing and giving of the Jews. All Judah, verse 12, brought the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil. Nehemiah appoints trustworthy officials in charge of all this. So the temple, 
the house of God once again functions to the glory of God. Nehemiah says in verse 14, Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of my God and its services. The New Testament application of this is that the temple in the New Testament is the church, not a building. The temple is the people of God. The church is the people, not the building. Karl Barth, the famous theologian, was on a bus one day in Basel, Switzerland, where he lectured. A tourist to the city climbed on and sat down next to Bart. The two men started chatting and uh, Bart said, are you new to the city? Yes, said the tourist. Is there anything you'd particularly like to see in this city? Asked Bart. Yes, he said. I'd like to meet the famous theologian Karl Barth. Do you know him? Barth replied, well, as a matter of fact, I do. I give him a shave every morning. The tourist got off the bus quite delighted. He went back to his hotel saying to himself, I met Karl Barth's barber this morning. Each Christian is a temple of the Holy Spirit, a person in whom Christ actually dwells. And we together make up the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we have to recognize Christ and his Spirit in one another. Just as Nehemiah builds up the temple of God and ensures its healthy functioning, so in the New Testament, Christian leaders are to build up the church, build up the people of God through preaching, through Bible teaching, and through prayer. As the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Just as Nehemiah straightens out the functioning of the temple in Jerusalem, so church leaders today have to straighten out church life preaching the word, correcting wrong practice, carefully instructing the church in God's word. That brings us thirdly to the issue of the Sabbath. Thirdly, the Sabbath had gone wrong. This was a very important factor, an indicator of the health of God's people were they keeping the Sabbath? Were they being blessed by a day of rest once a week? 
And were they worshipping God and making him their priority? Well, verse 15, Nehemiah tells us how he saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in grain and all kinds of other loads on the Sabbath. Verse 16, people from Tyre were bringing in fish on the Sabbath and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath. So what did Nehemiah do? I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you are doing? Didn't your ancestors do the same things so that our God brought all this calamity on us and on this city? It was precisely because the people of God were disobeying God's law that they were first defeated by their enemies and carried off into exile in Babylon and then in Persia. In the same way, it's very important for us that we obey God's law. We read God's word every day and we do what it says. This is what Nehemiah means when he enforces the Sabbath. Verse 19. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. And to show that Nehemiah was serious, he stationed men at the city gates so that no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. He even prevents merchants from setting up camp outside Jerusalem if you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Nehemiah commanded the Levites to purify themselves and guard the city gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Verse 22. Remember me for this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. So the Israelites are to keep the Sabbath. They're not to do any work. They're to worship God on the Sabbath. When we apply this to the New Testament, things have changed a bit. The Christian Sabbath is no longer Saturday, as it was for the Jews. The Christian special day is Sunday. It's known as the Lord's Day, for example, in Revelation 1.10. And it's not entirely clear to what extent we should make the Lord's Day like the Jewish Sabbath. Obviously, some people have to work on a Sunday. And so the principle is that they should take a day off once a week on some other day. I don't think we should be legalistic about what Christians can and can't do on the Lord's Day. We're under grace now, not under law. It will be a matter of pers personal conscience for the Christian what they do and don't do on the Lord's Day. But 
it must be a good thing to take a day off. It must be a good thing to worship God in church. And I'm going to say, it must be a good thing to worship God twice on a Sunday. To spend more time with God's people on a Sunday evening. To focus on God and to hear another sermon. We understand that some people genuinely can't get there in the evening. But why not make a day of it, the Lord's Day, and come back to church in the evening? The great problem with preaching Old Testament history is that the application can become moralism. Don't marry a non-Christian. Make running the church your priority. Keep the Sabbath. The fact is that if we just try and keep laws, we will fail. Just as God's people failed in the Old Testament. But there is one whose relationships were always blameless. There is one who loves the church. There's one who obeys God's law perfectly. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is absolutely sinless in every way. And yet, he loved us enough to go to the cross and die there in our place, taking the punishment for all our sin. Jesus absorbed all the righteous anger of God, the justified wrath of God. Jesus took all that in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. 1 Peter 2.24 Nehemiah ends by purifying the priests and the Levites, recommissioning them and providing for their needs. And that's what Jesus does for us. He purifies us from all sin. He recommissions us in his service. He provides for all our needs. Is that what you need this morning? I know I need to experience a fresh, everyday purification from sin. I need to be started off again in service of King Jesus. I need Jesus to meet all my needs, spiritual and physical. This is what Jesus offers this morning. Would you like to receive Jesus' offer, maybe for the first time? Would you like to come to Christ, maybe for the umpteenth time, like me? Come and be cleansed. Come and be recommissioned in Christ's service. He loves us. Did you know that? 
He loves to meet our needs. Jesus delights to forgive us, to clean us up. He loves us. Jesus loves you. Will you come to him? Let's pray. Father, we see in this story how Nehemiah could restore the walls of Jerusalem physically, but he couldn't change the people's hearts. Only you can do that, Lord. And Lord, we can be very religious. We can do religious things, but only you can change our hearts. And so we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he loves us. Thank you that he came to die for us, to cleanse us. And so, Lord, we commit ourselves to you afresh. And we pray that Jesus would recommission us for his service and send us out once again in the power of the Spirit to live and work to his praise and glory. Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Father, if there are any here this morning who've not received Jesus' love personally for them, please would today be the day when they become Christians. But for all of us, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.